What's up everybody? Welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also donate using the Patreon link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I've got a great show for everybody today. Our main story is going to be Cary Farm Therapeutics. And the reason for this is that we've seen a huge comeback in the stock. It has rallied so much since the middle of this year and there's been a ton going on behind the scenes. So I wanted to do an update on what's been going on with the company and share some of my insights there. Before we get into it, I want to thank everybody. Please continue to hit that like button and subscribe. And if you want to leave me a comment below, that would also be great. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Matthew Lapod or email me at MatthewLapod at gmail.com. So with that, let's get right into it. And the company is Carrier Farm, ticker symbol is KPTI. They're trading now at a price of $14.38 a share, giving them a market cap of $1.08 billion, which is just incredible. They're up from around $5 a share in the summer of this year, which was a $300 million market cap. Just a crazy run up in the stock lately. Their Q4 net income was $40 million, and normally they burn around $50 million per quarter, but they realized some partnership income in this last quarter, so that's why they're on the positive side to this quarter. So I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, but nice to see that. Their assets sit at around $305 million with their liabilities at $385 million, giving them an enterprise value of around $1 billion. So crazy story here, really. At the beginning of 2021, they were probably trading around $14, and then they took this huge dip to around five, and now they're back up to 14 again, and there's a lot of excitement going on there. So we're gonna talk about that in a bit. And for those who don't know, Cary Farm is an oncology company. You could say they're a targeted oncology company because their main asset targets XPO1, which is a protein that is critical for transporting proteins from the nucleus to the cytoplasm. So by blocking the transport of proteins, they're able to actually cause a big effect in different cancer cells. And the reason or the mechanism behind this has to do with potentially an accumulation of tumor suppressor proteins in the nucleus, whereby cancer cells can overcome this mechanism using things like XPO1 to get the proteins into the cytoplasm and thus they're ineffective. So this is one mechanism of how Selenexor works and the company is approved currently in two different indications. They have an approval in multiple myeloma for second line or higher and this is in combination with a couple other drugs and they also have an approval in DLBCL for third line or higher. And so for some of the history here, the approval in multiple myeloma used to be in fifth line or higher I don't really know if there's a sixth line. There might be, but not like officially. But the company really put a lot of effort into trying to get the multiple myeloma indication in higher lines. And they did this by changing the dosing and the regimen and combining it with other therapies that were on the market. And they've done this successfully. And so the company's also looking at a number of different indications. They have trials that are currently started for myelofibrosis as well as myelodysplastic syndrome. So a lot of exciting stuff. I didn't even touch on the endometrial cancer trial, so we're going to talk about Siendo, which we recently got results in. So just to add that in there. But there's a lot going on. And so since my time of looking at the company, I've seen a number of different narratives. A lot of bull narratives, 
More often than not, though, they were bare narratives. And we're going to talk about all of these, and I'm going to talk about why I think there's reason for optimism in the future of Carrier Farm. And so the normal bear case that we see, weak sales, general company dysfunction, warrants that are due in 2025 that is a serious liability to the company, as well as the inherent problems with the drug itself, which is the toxicity and the adverse events that are caused by it. Now, the bull case has a lot going for it. New leadership, Siendo results, the pipeline, which is now reinvigorated, we'll say, and they're also doing a lot of partnerships to get ex-USA revenue realized. So I'm going to talk about both of these things, and we're going to start with the bear case. And the first thing with the bear case is the weak sales. And this was definitely true from the second quarter and earlier of 2021. And I think that things have changed a little bit because we've seen a real uptick in sales as of Q3 and Q4 of 2021. Q4 2021 sales were $29.8 million, which is up 49% year over year. And if we compare that to the Q2 sales of this year, it was up only around 2 or 3% if you're looking at the chart here on the right. So there's already been a big impact in the leadership changes with just the sales numbers, just the efforts of the, these new management members who have a lot of experience in multiple myeloma. Now, the other thing to note is that the company's sales overall were 98.4 million, which is up 29% year over year, but they started to do guidance. So forward-looking guidance in that they're going to be telling us what they expect the company to do from a sales standpoint. And so they guided 135 million to 145 million for 2022. And if you do the growth math on that, that's up 42% year over year. And if you're trying to use different methods to value a company, one thing that is critical is an increase in growth rate year over year or quarter over quarter. And so if we extrapolate out an improvement in growth rate of 42 compared to 29 the year before, definitely very positive guidance for the company. And in a normal pharmaceutical company where they have actual cash flows, something like Carrier Farm, this should be very meaningful and should cause people to take note of the real impact so far that the leadership changes have had. So I think this on its own is pretty bullish. And I know the title of this is Weak Sales, but I think we need to contextualize this. And there is a real silver lining here with the recent improvement in sales that we've seen. So another strategy I wanted to do here is see how much growth potential there really is in the indications that Carrier Farm is currently approved, specifically multiple myeloma. So the drug, if it's priced at around $17,000 per prescription, their Q4 sales were $29.8 million. If we divide that by the price of the prescription, we're at around 1,750 patients. If we look at their corporate material, they say that there's 20,000 multiple myeloma patients at second line or higher, meaning that there's a significant amount of growth potential still left in Selenexor for them to just achieve on the commercial side. Real execution from a commercial team can absolutely start to close that gap. And we see this here so far in the Q4 and Q3 sales of 2021 but also in the raw numbers that their market share right now selling XOR is very, very low, and they can absolutely start to have a real impact 
even more than what we're seeing today in the Q4 numbers. So the weak sales narrative, I think is shaky because we're starting to see that no longer be the case with these big increases in revenue growth. But before we move on, I wanna thank our sponsors, which is Info Pathways, and they are the leaders in biotech IT. Many biotech startups don't think that they have the time or money to protect their data. Without a dedicated IT team, data management is everyone's problem. Scientists find themselves redoing work and carrying out tasks outside of their expertise. Management finds themselves struggling to find funding and meet regulatory requirements. Don't let your company set itself up for failure. InfoPathways provides data management, cybersecurity, and technology compliance services for life science firms of any size. InfoPathways specializes in clean rooms, vivariums, GMP, and GLP compliant facilities, as well as BSL 1 through 4. No environment or regulation is too complex for InfoPathways. For more information, go to InfoPathways.com or call 410-751-9929. And the company is InfoPathways. They are the leaders of biotech IT. And I want to thank them for being sponsors on the show. For anything IT related in biotech, go to InfoPathways.com. The next topic I wanted to mention was general dysfunction of the company. And this is something I've complained about quite a bit, but even this narrative is starting to get shaky because of all the change-ups that have happened recently. So the one complaint I had for the company is that they pursued indications without really planning to file an NDA. And the one that stuck out for me was dedifferentiated liposarcoma. Now this wasn't a massive patient population, but the company spent millions and millions of dollars trying to get these trials together and get Selenexor through the pipeline in this way. And so when they decided to not do an NDA for this, it just seems like management really has no plan and they don't really know what they're doing or what their goals are. Another complaint that I see often and is one that I also share is that management continues to sell their stock. And what you often would rather see is that management is buying on the open market. But what we see in Carry Farm are stock sales from management members. And this is actually true today. I think on Fintel, I received some notifications recently of a number of insider stock sales. And now this doesn't have to be bearish for the company. Oftentimes compensation packages will include a number of equity portions of it. So for some people, they'll sell their stock to increase their general income. So it doesn't necessarily mean that they are trying to get out of the stock, but it still doesn't instill a lot of confidence from an investor standpoint. So it is a complaint that I think is valid. Another comment on general dysfunction of the company is that the quarterly spend is quite high. Their R&D spend is around $44 million, and this is up 18% year over year. Now, some of the partnerships that the company has are alleviating some of these concerns because I think the one partnership will pay for around 25% of some of the R&D costs with some of the trials. So I think they're trying to alleviate some of this burden, but it still remains high considering what the company is doing. Now, I feel justified in their recent expenses in R&D because endometrial cancer, uh, MDS, and myelofibrosis Definitely interesting indications that I think warrant further investigation, but the last couple of years, it's been quite a bust on various different things. You know, the dedifferentiated liposarcoma indication for one is just a ton of 
money that was wasted on this company. The other downside is the looming financial obligation that this company has, and I'm gonna to touch on this here. Now, before I switch over though, I will say that given that there's been such a change up in leadership, some of these things won't really apply anymore. Now the management stock sales still continue to happen, but they're much less likely to be pursuing a indication that they're not really gonna follow up on, and I believe that to be true and their quarterly spend, R&D spend, I think that is changing as well. So I think these are things that are starting to no longer be a factor in the bear case for Carry Farm. Now the looming financial obligation is something that the company can't really get around, in my opinion. And the reason for this is that before the new leadership changes, there were warrants and different debt instruments issued in order to fund the company's operations. And so I took this from their Q3 2021 10Q filing. Their 10K filing for 2021 was kind of a merged thing with their Siendo results. So it was a little bit weird. I couldn't find a detailed report like you normally see, but this still exists on their 10Q filing. And the one thing that I wanna note is the big increase from the 2024 to 2025 minimum payment obligation that Carry Farm has to do in order to make right on their debtors. And so we see here that the total is $177 million that Carry Farm is going to be responsible for by the end of 2025. So for me, this looks like a real sink or swim point where the company really has to deliver on either partnerships or indications, cash flow, really everything needs to come together for the company well before 2025 because they have this looming payment that is going to be due to their debt holders and it's something that is going to be a real overhang for the company moving forward now they're obviously executing on the process recently which is great to see new indications partnerships sales increasing so there's still hope there's still a lot of time as well so that the company really can execute and start to be, uh, start to overcome this potential financial obligation that could be very difficult for the company to mitigate if they were to use dilutive methods to meet that financial obligation. So I think that this is something that everybody should be mindful of. There's still a lot of time, but 2025 is where they're really gonna have a hard deadline to execute on their plan. And I think that's what all leadership is quite aware of with a lot of the data releases coming around 2023, 2024, it gives them a lot of time to execute on a regulatory filing with the FDA in order to get more indications on the market for them to start to deliver and really accumulate that funding or get bought out. So that's where I see a lot of the potential the last bear narrative that I see has to do with inherent drug toxicity. And a lot of people I'll see, they just say that Selenexor is just too toxic, patients don't like it, therefore it is a dud. And admittedly, if we look at some of the early data, the safety is a little dicey. And I'm showing here table three from the STORM study, which was a combination of Expovio at 80 mg per kg plus dexamethasone at 20 mg per kg administered twice weekly. And we see here that grade three or higher adverse events 
of thrombocytopenia happened in 61% of patients, anemia happened in 40% of patients. Grade three or higher, which is a pretty serious adverse event. If we compare this to say like magrolimab, I think this comes in as worse than that. And the FDA recently issued a clinical hold for magrolimab. So that's kind of an interesting case study. Different FDA administrations have different sort of red lines when it comes to safety and Expovia was able to get by even with this safety as it is today. But since these early trials, Carrier Farm really tried to minimize the burden associated with, with safety. And they did this by changing the dosing regimen, making it a flexible dosing amount and including combination therapies. So we see here that this is Expovio 80 mg plus dexamethasone 20 mg. And originally the starting dose for Expovio was 100 mg twice weekly. But since then, the company and the FDA have agreed on a dosage reduction program whereby patients can be started on the higher dose and then they'll go down to the next tier of dose, so 100 to 80 and then to 60. And if the side effects are still intolerable, then they can discontinue. But they have really done a good job to try and improve the situation with safety. And the other thing is that they've really increased the number of combinations. And I want to highlight this with the Boston study, but the discontinued treatment figures from STORM, part one, it was 18%, part two, it was 28%. So, you know, it's like one fifth to a quarter of all patients discontinued on the drug, not necessarily because of side effects associated with the drug, but they still discontinued. So it's still, you know, something that we don't like to see, even though these are patients without many options left oftentimes. So we have to keep that in mind as well. Now, for the phase three Boston study, I wanted to bring this up because it was an interesting comparison. The treatment that they did was Selenexor plus Bortezomib plus Dexamethasone once weekly compared to Bortezomib plus Dexamethasone twice weekly. And what we see here is that 21% of patients in the triple combination with Selenexor and 16% of the dual treatment regimen discontinued study treatment because of treatment-related adverse events. So the delta here is only 5%. So, and they're getting a much better objective response rate. So I think that something like this is illustrative that the company has been improving the safety situation that's been going on with Selenexor, even though it's still not ideal. 20% of patients still discontinuing treatment because of adverse events isn't great but it's a big improvement. And I think that it compares kind of favorably to say this dual treatment, for instance. The other thing that I'll say is that the Siendo discontinuation rate was only 10.5%. And I don't know off the top of my head what the treatment regimen was, but we're seeing here that the company is very aware of the safety situation with Expovio and they are doing their best to try and mitigate it. No, it's not perfect, but I think that it isn't as bad as when Expovio was first approved. And I think we need to be mindful of that and see that the sales increasing as they are means that doctors are starting to come around, patients are starting to come around. So I don't think it's as bad as it was at the beginning, even though the toxicity overall, I don't think is great.
All right, now moving on to the bull case, there's four things that I wanna to touch on. The new leadership changes, the Siena results, upcoming pipeline, and partnerships. To first talk about the new leadership changes, I mentioned this before, but Richard Paulson has now been appointed president and CEO as of Q2 in 2021. And this guy is the real deal. He's got significant experience in multiple myeloma specifically from a company he previously was part of called Onyx. And then he was a big part of Amgen after they acquired Onyx and they were commercializing Kyprolis, which is a multiple myeloma treatment in the USA as well as ex-USA. So he brings a lot of experience in multiple myeloma as well as from the commercial side on executing and delivering on sales numbers. Since his appointment, he has recently fired or uh, gently pushed out, we'll say, who knows, the chief commercial officer as well as the senior vice president of sales. And this is as of mid-2021. They've replaced both of these people with somebody by the name of Sohanya Cheng. And this person is formerly from Amgen as well. So Sohanya and Richard worked together at Amgen to execute on the business plan of Kyprolis at Amgen. So I think it's great that these two can work together now and do a similar thing with Carry Farm and Selenexor. And both of them having a former history of success in multiple myeloma, I think bodes very well for the company. And we're already starting to see the effects of that. The other thing that's happened is they've added a head of marketing, somebody by the name of Payman Daruyan, and this person's formerly from Novartis, BMS, and Sanofi. So Richard Paulson's actually making changes in the team, which I think is great. There's a lot of people who still remain from the old guard of Carrier Farm, which I don't love, but one of the real problems was executing on sales. So he's obviously seen this as a real priority for the company and is changing personnel as needed. So I think that that's great. And we're starting to see the effects of this. Like I said, I've already talked about the sales guidance that they've increased, which I think bodes very well and shows that they're able to execute properly. So this is all good stuff. And we're also starting to see a big improvement in the pipeline. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Siendo. So we recently saw the Siendo results. And what the press release reads is that Selenexor demonstrates statistically significant 50% improvement in median progression-free survival compared to placebo, hazard ratio of 0.7, and a p-value of 0.0486. And now the actual progression-free survival of Selenexor treated was 5.7 months compared to 3.8 months on placebo. So I think the magnitude of the effect is there but the hazard ratio of 0.7 isn't quite what the company guided. I have here at the bottom that they guided success to be 0.6, and this was only 0.7. So not great to see from the outset because the company issued this guidance before. We also don't know what the FDA would want to see to approve. So we're left in the dark a little bit here because the 0.6 guidance that the company gave we don't know if that's from the FDA or it's just the company's own metrics that they wanted to see. Now, the other thing is that they did a pre-specified subgroup analysis. And for anybody that's watched the show, you know, I'm very skeptical of a lot of these subgroup analyses, which you should be, unless there's a compelling reason to do so and unless the magnitude of effect is there and it's powered to be there. And so what the company did was look at wild type P53 patients. And what they found is that they had a significant improvement 
in progression-free survival, the hazard ratio being 0.38, p-value being 0 0.0006, and then the magnitude of the effect is 13.7 months compared to 3.7 months on placebo. So we're seeing a massive effect in these wild-type p53 patients, which is diluted out when you include patients that have a mutation for p53. And so it's interesting that this happened can they go ahead with a specific indication in just wild type P53 patients? They probably could, but the company has indicated that they're gonna try to do the whole thing. They were asked a number of questions on the call about whether or not they might discuss with the FDA of a possible narrowing of the label to be just on wild type P53 uh, patients in their NDA filing, but the company stated that they think they have what it takes in this application to get approval for the whole thing. And I, I don't know what to think about it because I feel like unless they're engaging with the FDA and they're gonna see whether or not it's possible to get approval for the whole thing, I think they're really risking getting a complete response letter because they're being too greedy. And I don't really know, I don't think anybody really knows what the FDA is going to decide but the company is moving forward to submit a new drug application in the first half of this year. They're gonna also present some new data and hopefully we'll get more safety insights on Selenexor in endometrial cancer patients because we didn't really get too much granularity on that. We did get the discontinuation rate, but it would have been nice to see some other stuff. So I think overall, we're likely to see an approval in endometrial cancer in some patient population. Hopefully it's not a CRL after a year and then they get approval another nine months or so after that, but we gotta wait and see what kind of feedback they get from the FDA. And hopefully they're smart enough to engage with the FDA to get a sense on whether or not their hazard ratio of 0.7 is enough to get approval of this endometrial cancer indication as a maintenance therapy. So overall, I think it's positive I think that the company's being a bit risky by getting the indication in the whole thing, but there is still a chance that they could get that approval. I think another thing to note is that, I don't know if they've looked at this in other trials, but they should really do a lot of analyses in their previous trials to see if wild type P53 patients responded better because they could really hone in on that specific indication in other cancers to potentially get a bigger effect compared to just a whole grab bag population of all sorts of different P53 mutation patients. So I think that's pretty interesting and hopefully the company will be mindful of that and execute on it in future trials. All right, next thing I wanna mention is that they have a pretty strong pipeline. The company's focus moving forward is gonna be in myelodysplastic syndromes and this is with their second class nuclear export protein inhibitor that's called L10XOR. And so that's gonna be pretty exciting because there's a lot of potential there. Top line data from that is expected in the first half of 2023. And then for Selenexor, they're looking in myelofibrosis. We should be seeing top line data there in the second half of 2023. And then they're also trying to do more combinations with Selenexor and multiple myeloma to try and give more options for doctors and patients who are looking for a treatment that works for them. And so this combination therapy of Selenexor with pomalidomide and dexamethasone, we should be seeing top-line data in 2024. 
So a lot to look forward to. I think the myelofibrosis and myelodysplastic syndromes, the top line data there is going to be a real make or break moment for them in terms of long-term revenue. I think the company in the next year or so is really going to be able to deliver on the current sales figures, but to get that uh, pipeline extension and a big, broad, diverse number of indications, they're going to start to need to see success in myelofibrosis and myelodysplastic syndromes. And I think it's possible. The preliminary data does look encouraging, but we'll have to wait and see. The last thing I want to mention is that the company is executing on partnerships. They have a ton of different partnerships. And the reason why they're doing this, I think one is to get a stronger cash position that is non-dilutive. I think the second thing is that they don't have a real interest in developing a commercial team that can function in these foreign governments that they don't have a lot of experience in so they can leverage other people's experience in this area. And overall, it's going to increase the amount of Selenex or adoption in this way. So some of the ones that I wanted to mention, the Menorani group, which has a focus on the European Union and Latin America, they originally received a $75 million upfront payment plus $202 million in future milestones, as well as double-digit royalties on net sales. There's going to be a CHMP decision coming up soon, which is the organization that deals with the EMA in making decisions for the European Union. And that positive decision will bode very well for the company. They also have partnerships with other distributor type companies, Antengene for APAC, Forest in Canada, Neopharm in Israel, and they also have this collaboration with healthcare royalty partners. The other ones are involved in the actual regulatory filings and commercial execution of Selenexor or whatever they're calling it in those countries. I think the branding is a little bit different, but the healthcare royalty partners deal is a little bit different. And what Care Farm has decided to do is take an upfront payment. In this case, it's 75 million plus 60 million, which is the more recent deal, and a 40 million in future milestones uh, deal in exchange for Carry Farm to pay healthcare royalty partners a tiered royalty payment on net sales of current and future products. Now, if you go through the 10Q and look at what the details are, it's a little bit messy. The payment is capped at 185% of the total investment amount. And it really is that healthcare royalty partners is basically being kind of a partner with Carry Farm and that they're giving them this money up front in order to get a royalty on all the sales done from Expovio. So it's an interesting partnership. I think that it could backfire if Carry Farm isn't able to use this money and execute on their pipeline. But with a company like this, it really is do or die in that they have to get quickly an execution commercially and in the clinic for them to overcome the burden that they're gonna have from a debt standpoint. What I talked about in 2025, as well as what's gonna be owed to healthcare royalty partners, um, because there are minimums that they have to reach in there, and it's something that's kind of interesting if you if you check out. So overall, I think that Carry Farm has a lot of excitement behind it. I think that the new leadership changes are starting to take hold, and we're gonna to start to see more execution on the commercial front as well as the pipeline front in order to get Expovio where it needs to be to deliver on those sales numbers. And in terms of a potential buyout, it's there. I think it's a little bit early. And there was a recent cancellation on a Lee Rink conference that they had. 
And I think that a lot of people are quick to assume that a buyout is now imminent. It's possible, but I think the odds are quite unlikely that that's going to be the case just now. But you know, anything's possible. So I sold half my position, but I'm pretty comfortable to hold another 70 shares and see what happens in the next year or so with the company. So in terms of other stuff that I'm looking forward to, really these three companies have a lot going on. Replimune, PDSB, as well as BioXL have some readouts that are upcoming. And in terms of a portfolio update, I sold my Acadia position, sold some of my Carrier Farm position, and yeah, that's about it. Overall, I'm sitting at around negative 14% year to date. And this compares pretty favorably to a lot of the other metrics. There are a lot of geopolitical concerns going on in the world right now. And I have a feeling that this week is going to see a lot of downside. The oil markets have shot up on this news. And I think that in kind, the equity markets are going to suffer quite a bit. So I'm trying to err on the side of keeping more cash where possible. And I know a lot of people called me out for selling my Acadia position as well as some of my carrier farm. But... I think that there's still a lot of potential downside in the markets and we need to be careful about that. And I'm happy to see that my Viking short is doing well so far and I'm gonna look to probably add more shorts so that I can lower my net exposure, which has really hurt me in the last six to 12 months. So that's gonna be where I'm erring on, but overall 14% year to date and it's not bad considering that the XBI is sitting at around negative 20 now, and RG is sitting around negative 26. So that's that. But uh, I want to thank everybody for all your attention today, and let me know if you think I'm wrong or if I'm missing anything. But I think that Carry Farm is a lot to look forward to in the next year or so. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. But thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time.